The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Influencer Marketing Week on the MarTech Podcast. This week, we're going to publish an episode every day talking about how you can maximize your influencer marketing strategies. Joining us for Influencer Marketing Week is Vivian Garneas, who is the co-CEO of Upfluence, which is the only influencer marketing software with a dedicated offering for e-commerce brands. And they help brands drive online sales through organic influencer partnerships. And in addition to providing us with our guest today, Upfluence is also a sponsor of the MarTech podcast. So far this week, Viviane and I have discussed whether you should build an influencer marketing campaign, how you can match influencers with your audience, some tips for getting the best work out of your influencers. And yesterday we talked about how to monetize your influencer marketing campaigns. And today we're going to turn the table and talk about how and whether you should become an influencer. All right, here's the last installment of Influencer Marketing Week with Viviane Garnes from Upfluence. Vivian, welcome back to the last episode of Influencer Week on the MarTech Podcast. I we flew by really fast. Friday is here and we're, we're almost done. And today, honestly, is one of the topics I feel the most comfortable talking about, which is not necessarily from the brand perspective, you know, what should you be doing? How should you be monetizing influencers? How do you work with them? But hey, you've got something to say. Should you become an influencer? I, I went through this myself. You know, how do you think about the wave of plain Janes and Joes becoming the next Kim Kardashians of the world, the influencers? That question is going to be asked more every year. I don't exactly remember the poll that I'd seen, but I think it was primary school kids in the US and 52% of them wanted to become influencers. So this is really something that a lot of the new generation aspires to become. But if there are some a little bit more mature listeners out there who are wondering, that still can be a good career opportunity. It's funny that you call it a career opportunity. I was sitting around with a friend of mine, Jordan Cooney, who's been a guest on this podcast. He was one of the regular guests of the Voices of Search podcast, the SEO podcast that I host and produce. And his kids are sitting around making YouTube videos and they're putting in work trying to build a YouTube following. So I understand that you need to run a business if you're actually going to be an influencer. And I think that there's you know, maybe a step before that where you need an audience before you have to worry about sponsorship. So step one, Cooney Kids, 
Here's Vivian's advice for how you can actually build an audience. Vivian, what should my future influencers listening to this podcast or the Cooney kids at home decide that they should be doing to start building a big enough following to actually merit having a business? The answer resides in content. You need to be able to produce high quality content very regularly to the point where it can be a full-time gig at some point, but very regularly and to have the discipline to not only put the content out there and not only make sure that the content is great, but also progressively to optimize it, right? And the optimization will look different on depending on which platform you're operating on. You know, on YouTube, it will be very different guidelines than if you are on Instagram or on TikTok or whatever it is. So not only do you have to figure out what content to produce when and how and how frequently, you have to figure out what does the algorithm reward so you can really ride that wave and really piggyback on this. That being said, producing content for the sake of producing content will not get you very far, I suspect. What you need to do is find your voice, find something you're either good at or very passionate about, something that you have opinions about, or go a different route, which is the entertainment route. You know, do something super creative, something that's entertaining to the audience, and pick an editorial line, stick to it, and try to perfect yourself and better yourself every time you release a new piece of content out there. So to me, that's really the crux of what your success will be. It's your ability to produce consistent, great quality content, and then to polish it in a way that really complements the algorithms so that the social networks themselves can bring you to the next level. What I'm hearing is, first, you have to have an understanding of what channel you're going to be working in, and you're going to experiment. You're going to create some content. You're going to see what works, what feels authentic, where you're getting a signal. I created hour-long podcasts when I first started the MarTech podcast, and people listened to a quarter of them. So I cut them in half, and people listened to half of them. So I cut them in half again, and people listened to the whole damn thing. Turns out people only listen to marketing podcasts for 15 minutes, so why would I create hour-long podcasts? Once I shortened them, I started to have more content. I started to basically get a, a better pulse on what people were interested in, and I was getting better results. So you're going to do a little experimentation up front to figure out not only what platform you should be in, what content you should be creating, but also the format of that content. And eventually, with trial and error and with hard work and dedication, businesses are work, even if you're an influencer, you're going to start building a following just based on the repetition. Now, at what point do you consider an influencer an influencer? I know we talked about Pico, Nano, Micro, Macro, Mega, Influencers. There's like a million different flavors of influencers these days. At what point does it become a business? The way we define influencers at Influence, which is a very personal definition, we have a hard threshold at 1,000 followers. At 1,000 followers, clearly you're not yet a business, or at least you don't necessarily have the following to do this full-time. It can be a nice hobby, something good to do on the side. The ability to transform this into a business would vary depending on the kind of vertical you're on. Some verticals are more lucrative than others. But I'd say in the 50K, 100K range, we start to see people who are making this full-time, sometimes who even have an assistant slash manager slash person who does the editing, who's basically jack of all trades, right? And as they keep growing, they start forming a team. But yeah, on Instagram, at least, on Instagram, TikTok, somewhat comparable. In the 50K plus, you start to have something that's monetizable. And depending on where you live, depending on what your cost of life is, that might yet be a business or not, but things start to happen. You start to be really noticeable by brands. And especially if you have a really smart strategy to go after the brands yourself, you can make some money. So if you're on the social networks, tens of thousands of people following you, and you could start to think about monetization, not every channel is the same. If you're on LinkedIn, you have 10,000 followers, you're, you're doing pretty good. If you're a podcaster, 
when I started, somebody told me if you have more than 10,000 downloads a month, you can make more than beer money. I think that that's probably about true. And then you look at YouTube, a subscriber is very different than somebody who's a follower because they're getting all of your content. So less subscribers, those are more valuable than some of the other channels. You mentioned, okay, once you've built the requisite following, you've got enough eyeballs and ear holes that are paying attention to you. Having a smart strategy to find your sponsors, how easy is it to start monetizing an influencer business and how much money are influencers making these days? I would start to build a monetization strategy. I would start by reaching out to the brands I'm already a client of, brands I like, products I like that I use. I would start to discreetly or less and less discreetly integrate it into my content and then use that as a piece of leverage to reach out to the marketing team of the brand that I like to say, hey, let's partner. I've done this. This is great. This is the kind of response I got. These are the numbers. Now I'd like to be paid, please. And one way to do that is, I think it was a couple of years back. What's the fastest growing job title on LinkedIn? What used to be at least? Product marketing manager. Almost. Influencer marketing manager. Damn. <laughs> Back in 2018 or something along these lines. So a job title that virtually didn't exist five years ago, you know, has been growing extremely fast. So, you know, if you do some snooping on LinkedIn, finding the company page of a company you like, going into the people category, trying to type keywords, influencer marketing manager, growth marketing manager, you know, these kind of people. And then the cold outreach thing, hey, I've done this. These are my numbers. This is what I do. Let's work together and see what they have to say. I think that's one way to yourself, you're getting your first partners. And as you get your first brand partnerships, you can start having a media kit where you say, oh, these are the collaborations I've done with brands X, Y, and Z. Even if the first few ones could have been completely not paid for, you know, the prospects don't necessarily have to know that. But, you know, that starts building your track record saying, these are the brands I've worked with, this is the performance I've delivered. And try really to put yourself in the shoes of a marketer. So if you're listening to the MarTech podcast, you're doing extremely well by you know, understanding what their day-to-day, what their pain points are. So in that case, you can try to put forth, hey, this is my metrics, A, B, C, D. This is what we've delivered as an output for that brand for this. And really try to take away the perception of risk from uh, the brand marketer. I think it's interesting you're talking about just, hey, go on LinkedIn and search influencer marketing manager for the companies that you'd like. I'm a huge fan of monday.com and I've been trying to find a contact at that company to be a sponsor of the MarTech podcast. And I never actually thought to just look for influencer marketing manager. Maya Zarman, the influencer marketing manager at monday.com, get ready for some LinkedIn spam from me. I I can't wait (laughs) to reach out to you. At the end of the day, it's not only building an audience, it's finding the right sponsors. And then there's the question of actually making sure you understand what the value of your work is. When you think about not only finding the sponsors, but making sure that you're getting a fair rate for them, how do you determine what you should be getting paid for your work? So again, that can vary depending on the vertical, depending on the country, depending on some factors. There are some tools out there. I know a great resource, Influencer Marketing Hub. They have some tools where you they can give you an estimate. I have X followers on TikTok or this is my TikTok handle. How much should I be paid for a post? That being said, I would always apply some degree of intelligence. Use good judgment. If it feels wrong to charge that much or that little, maybe it is. Of course, and play by ear, right? If by interacting with brands, most of them say, oh, that's too expensive, sorry, I'll pass. At some point, that might mean something about your rates. So, you know, try to iterate and be very agile and very flexible in the way you make your assumptions on which you build your influencer business. At the end of the day, what your rates are can very much be a personal decision. 
it's not only figuring out what the market rates are, but it's also understanding what the value is of the time that you're going to be putting in. I know for me, the industry standard for podcasts is $25 to $50 CPMs for advertising. I'm not doing this for $25 to $50. And that's just, you know, the calculus that I did for my time and my business. Sometimes you have to figure out what your own rates are as opposed to look at what the industry standards are. At the end of the day, becoming a content creator is something, speaking from a personal experience, takes time. It takes effort. It's not something that you just say, okay, now I'm going to be an influencer. You have to do the work. And most of the time, it's a side hustle. It's a project that is a passion project that you're doing on your own. And then eventually you have an audience and you can start thinking about growing your business slowly. Vivian, when you start to think about influencers that are building their following, start to think about monetization, at some point they have to make the decision of what are the solutions that they work with, they partner with. Talk to me about how Upfluence works with influencers. What are some of the ways that they can take advantage of products and services like yours? So it's true that if your main strategy is to work with brands directly, signing up for all the influencer marketing marketplaces out there is a great way, right? I think if you type influencer on Crunchbase right now, which is very much the yellow pages for startups, there's a thousand results. So I have a lot of alternatives and competition out there and feel free to sign up on their platforms and be visible for these guys. So that's definitely one potential quick win for you to explore. I'm going to go outside of the direct scope of your question for a second, and then I'll come back. But depending on what the platform you are working on, different platforms have different strategies when you come to influencers. Let's say YouTube, for example, historically, they've always decided to share the ad revenue with creators. So when you're in the middle of a 10-minute YouTube video, you have a pre-roll or you know whatever ad, a fraction of the revenue from that ad is going to go to the creator. Other platforms have made opposite decisions. Facebook, Instagram, for example, they do not give a share of the revenue. That being said, the strategy they had is to make the creators extremely available to brands. So, you know, they have a, a fairly good search feature where I can find by hashtags or whatever it is, some people who talk about that topic and as a brand, I can reach out to them directly. In that case, we will not take a cut on the relationship between the brand and influencer. And some platforms have decided to do none of that. You know, at the early days of Snapchat, for example, not only were creators virtually impossible to find because it was a closed network, on top of that, for the longest time, Snapchat was not sharing any ad revenue with the creators. And so when eventually TikTok, but before that, all the other platforms introduced the idea of stories, you know, the ephemeral content that Snapchat was being used for. That's why we've seen all this mass exodus of influencers to these platforms. So I would say at the end of the day, platforms need to sustain a symbiotic relationship with their creators because the creators will create the content that's the highest performing that will allow them to gain new users and keep growing the social network and so on and so forth. So it's of vital importance to them. So as an influencer, you have to be attentive to that, the different strategies of different platforms when it gets to choosing your platform and potentially having other streams of revenue, not just from brands directly, but indirect brand money from, for example, ad monetization on YouTube. That was sort of the sidebar to your question. I appreciate the context. So tell me how a company can take advantage of uh, working with Upfluence. So the funny thing about Upfluence is that we're trying to be as invisible as possible from the influencer. What we've measured, and it's very cynical, but when our clients were reaching out to influencers via Upfluence, very noticeably, the influencers would charge more to their clients because they would assume, oh, there's a middleman or that client has enough money to uh, purchase a piece of software, then they must be loaded, then they must have budget, and so I will charge more. And what that does, again, deteriorates ROI. And in the MarTech business, and you know this better than I do, we're in the business of ROI. If the brand doesn't get sufficient ROI, grass is greener somewhere else. Their marketing dollars are going to be spent somewhere else. 
So to work in the best interest of our clients, we decided to be as invisible as possible. So now brands reach out in their own name, they connect their Gmail or their Outlook into Affluence. And you know, well, we still route the emails, it's in their names. So they don't really know we exist until when it comes to the time to either submit the content or getting paid so quite late in the relationship. So to go back to the first part of the answer, the marketplaces, the closed opt-in networks, that's a great opportunity for creators to proactively sign up to these and to be searchable for brands. But for companies like Upfluence who are not closed networks, right? It's very much open networks and we just reference influencers that our clients can reach out to. It's a little bit harder for influencers to actually leverage, sadly. There's multiple ways to skin a cat. And when it comes to being an influencer, there's networks that are out there. There's also the sort of hidden gems that are trying to help brands find you. And that's where Upfluence comes in. Vivian, it's been a long and very insightful week. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I appreciate all of your support of the MarTech podcast. I appreciate you telling us not only how Upfluence works, but also how brands and creators can get together and help each other. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And thanks for all the smart questions. All right. And that wraps up Influencer Marketing Week on the MarTech podcast. Thanks to Vivienne Garnes, the co-CEO of Upfluence for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Vivienne, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is Vivienne underscore Garnes, which is V-I-V-E-N underscore G-A-R-N-E-S. Or you could visit his company's website, which is upfluence.com, U-P-F-L-U-E-N-C-E.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.